Thank you, Devin. We're in a series in the Gospel of Luke, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 11, and you can kind of land on verse 27. We're going to pick it up a little bit where we left off last Lord's Day. Uh, but this morning what I want to talk about is, uh, what is the truth about seeing clearly? And I'm going to try to use that seeing uh, in a kind of a, d- a couple different ways. Sometimes we'll mix metaphors. I don't know if you've ever heard people mix metaphors where they took something from one thought or one discipline and kind of combine it with the other and you're wondering if they actually fit. But sometimes we do it on a regular basis and it does seem to fit. Sometimes you might be talking to someone and you might ask them a question, well, did, did you hear me? Did, did you really hear me? And, and then you might follow up, did, did you see what I meant by what I said? And we'll use sight with hearing and somehow put it together and saying truly hearing and truly seeing is truly understanding. And often when Jesus was teaching and being with people, uh, he wanted them to get it. In fact, every time that he spoke, sometimes he would hide things from people he'd already revealed truth to and they had rejected it. But his heart was for him not just to be talking and people not listening. And that's my passion as well. Hopefully that as you're looking at me, you're not only looking at me, but you're listening. And you're listening because there's something you really believe that there's good enough to hear. Not because of who I am, but because of the book I'm speaking out of. And so I want you to hear me, but I also want you to see what I'm trying to, to say. And Jesus was in that kind of situation a, a lot. In fact, that's what his, that was his passion as he taught. And yet somehow we as, uh, as people who use language, even if it's our native tongue, we, we can confuse people by the words we use. Would you agree with that? In fact, I was, I was reading a couple weeks ago about words you don't understand if you're over 30. Um, I'm 31, so I thought this would be a challenge for me to take. Is that, you know, you, you think, well, words I don't understand if I'm over 30. Wow, that's, uh, that's kind of challenging or humbling. And basically, it's talking about slang, some things that people use or what becomes a popular way of saying things. And sometimes, if you don't know what it means, but you can kind of, some are bizarre, but some of the words I, I wrote down were ones you could kind of figure out. Well, I guess I could see how they made it that way. For instance, if someone gives you a, gives you a unsalt, an unsalt, what that is is an ins, uh, that what that is is a compliment that is actually an insult. So it's an unsalt, okay? Hundo p, a hundo p is you're in a conversation and you say, well, hundo p, that means I, I'm with you a hundred percent, hundo p. Um, this one I've actually he- heard in the culture. It's um, you're you're uh, you're woke about politics which means you are aware of what's happening in a politics. You're, you're awake to what's going on. And, and I guess you can take the opposite. If you're, if you're not woke, you're, you're, uh, you're sleeping in terms of what's actually going on. Another one that uh, if someone calls you a sus, a sus, that's short for saying you're a little suspicious. That's a little sus. So you're kind of sus to me. You're a suspicious. Um, if you have sauce, Kind of like uh, the secret sauce. That means uh, there's something attractive or stylish about you. You, you got you got sauce going for you. And then I'll I'll, I'll leave this one. I've heard this one actually out in the culture, but uh, we've heard sometimes people, you know, that's you know that's my babe. That's somebody that's really special to me. Well, there's a shortened version of that. Um, that person's my bae, and it's B A E. And what that stands for is. Beyond anyone else. So uh, hopefully you have some a bay in your life. That's, that, that's the, 
uh, the person that's more important to you than anybody else. But it, if that sounds a little bit too cheesy, in fact, that's one too cheesy, what you would guess is a person who's smiling all the time. But uh, you, could, you could have Jesus being your bay. He's beyond anyone else in your life because he really truly is beyond anyone you can imagine that is in this universe. And so as we think about people seeing what we're saying or really hearing what we're saying or what my point is really understanding what we're saying, sometimes we can confuse people by the words we use and sometimes we can confuse people by we say one thing and we what? Do another. And so the message gets mixed. It gets muddled. It gets, it gets, it gets a little bit dark in terms of trying to get through what you're observing. Well, we know that Jesus didn't have a problem with saying one thing and doing another, right? Because he was, he was the, the perfect teacher and the perfect example. We know that, that Jesus used words when he was trying to get something across that were plain to the people to hear. In fact, uh, as we look at God inspiring the New Testament to be written in language, it's written in what's called Koine Greek, which is common Greek. It was not the Greek of the scholars, it was the Greek of the common uh, people. And so it, it was put in a language where people would understand what was being said. But even if you use plain words, and even if you back up what you're saying with your life, uh, some people refuse to hear and to see clearly. And I really see the section that we're being looking at this morning illustrating the truth about it. And hopefully you'll see that as we go through it this morning as well. Uh, but backing up from where we left out last week, Jesus had done the miraculous. He had done a miracle that they couldn't really understand how he, how he had the ability to do it because he didn't name the demon that he cast out of a man who could not speak. And there was a, there was a rebellion going on. Some saw it one way and some people saw it another way. Some people were amazed at the power of Jesus and thinking it was, a, it was a holy thing, a good thing. And other people saw, no, you have power. That's plain to see. But uh, we believe it comes from the evil one, not the holy one. And so Jesus reasons with them. And the, the people are amazed at his ability to, to respond to the learned in, in just rational explanation of why their view that he was doing it by the power of the evil one made absolutely no sense. And so then arises someone who praises Jesus by praising his mother. And verse 27 says this, While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd, this is Luke 11, verse 27, raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Which let, Let's just praise your mom for bringing you into this world. She has to be blessed because look at her son. Now that was a marvelous thing to say. And Jesus does not rebuke her, but he does correct her. And we need to understand, too, that sometimes it's not wrong to be corrected. You know, it's just, just don't correct your pastor. Okay, it's not, you know, it's not right to be, you know, you don't like to be corrected, but Jesus did it. And he did it even to the ones who had a, had a great tender heart. And he said this, on the contrary, verse 28, blessed or favored, the word is used in two different ways. One is a, a description of favor, and the other is a description of, of true happiness. Favored and truly happy are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And, and so he's really speaking to the kind of the heart of what I want to share with you this morning is God wants us to see clearly. And by that I mean understand completely and to 
see clearly and to hear clearly is to understand clearly and then to actually do it and follow it. And so um, we're going to see that this morning. And, and the, 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 the great truth this morning that we can kind of hang our hat on, if you want to put it that way, is that every one of us here could leave this place described by Jesus as blessed. Independent of what your age is, whether you know the slang of uh, people under 30 or whether, whether you have a gift or talent that you wish that you see in somebody else that you wish you had, it has nothing to do with that. It has something that all of us could qualify. Blessed, favored are you and me if I hear the Word of God and observe it. If I see clearly what He's doing, understand it, and then, then follow after it and show it in my life. Well, then that begs the question, well, then how, how do I know if I'm really seeing what God is doing clearly, or hearing what God is saying clearly. And how do I know, uh, and, and I want to say this very plainly, we, we know when we show it. We know when it actually makes a difference in who we are. Well, really, in this passage, it's, it's really coming at it from an, a, a kind of a side view is, well, what will keep you from seeing something clearly? What will keep you from hearing something well and accurately? What will keep you from, from following through what you know you need to do or stop doing? Because that's where we all live, right? Sometimes we know what to do, we just simply don't do it. Sometimes we don't know, we don't understand what to do, and we need to pursue that. But what keeps us from doing that? Well, let's look at it this morning. How do you know if you're see- seeing clearly or not? Look at uh, verse 29. As the crowds were increasing, so Jesus attracted a crowd, partly because he did the miraculous, partly because they saw him reasoning with the religious leaders of the day. And then Jesus says something that's rather odd for us as we normally think about Jesus. This generation, and he's speaking to the people now, so he's not talking hypothetically. He's talking about the people that were hearing him. This generation, which includes you, is a wicked generation. Now, sometimes we read verse, like, phrases like that and we just keep on reading, but <laughs> let's take it personal. What if the first thing I say, oh, by the way, before I speak, I think all of you are just wicked. In fact, I, I, whenever we, we, we um, kind of describe our behavior, most of us, I would imagine, I know this is how I, you know, I do if I'm kind of going down that path, which is not the best path to go down, I, I describe what kind of person I am by way of comparison, right? Okay, if... If I think I'm good, the reason I think I'm good is because I'm better than Tim sitting down over here. You know, I'm, I must be good because I'm better than him, okay? Now, if I think I'm bad, uh, you know, it's because I'm, I'm worse than Tim, right? You know, you, you compare yourself. You, you try to take whatever the norm is, and am I above the norm or below the norm, right? You get that? And, and so if he said, you are a wicked generation. Well, if he said, well, you know, you, you guys aren't that good. You know, you guys aren't perfect. That probably wouldn't be that offensive, right? Well, none of us are perfect. Well, yeah, you know, you guys sometimes mess up. Well, yeah, people, no, you're just wicked. In fact, actually, you're, you're more wicked than any generation. You're more wicked than any preacher has ever preached to. Well, now you're, now you're kind of getting a little, you know, personal here. And, and that's what Jesus did. So, so Jesus sometimes hammered people. This is a wicked generation. Now, we're going to see, that doesn't necessarily mean, in fact, 
Particularly, it did not mean that they did more evil deeds, more heinous crimes than anybody else, that we would normally think that way. But why he called them that is because they weren't seeing clearly. They weren't hearing clearly. And the reason I'm using seeing more than hearing is they had seen what Jesus had done. And many of them, in fact, they moved the whole generation or culture that when Jesus went to the cross, they called that which was holy, unholy. They called the one who came by the power of God the Father and said he was doing everything by the power of the evil one. It doesn't get any more wicked than that. Whether you say it publicly or in your own quietness of your heart, if you reject who Jesus is, you're taking that which is most holy and stamping your, your feet upon who he is. That's wickedness at its height. And, and then he goes on and says, okay, well, why am I calling you so wicked? And this kind of goes back a little bit to the, what was said before. After he did one sign, one miracle, what did they want? They wanted another. And if he had done another, he want, they would have wanted what? Another and another and another and another. And, and Jesus knew, it doesn't matter how many miracles I do for you, you still aren't going to be convinced. You're not going to see clearly. And so he says this, as to the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Now, they're probably, they're probably scratching their head, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, they would, they would remember this after the cross and the resurrection. Because what is the sign of, the, of Jonah? Well, it's, and that, that story is fascinating in so many different ways. And if we had time, we would dissect it in all kinds of different directions here that just hits this point even more powerfully. But Jonah was, was probably the most reluctant preacher ever, and he was the most successful preacher ever. He didn't want to go to the people to preach, and when he eventually went to them to preach, he didn't want them to respond. And what happened is every single person that he preached to responded. And why did they respond? Because he was so eloquent? Well, we don't know what kind of speaker he was. It was because he, he really passionately held out the mercy and grace of God? Well, we know that didn't happen because all he said is judgment is coming. But why was he so powerful? Because God gave them a sign, Nineveh, who were probably the most wicked, evil people concerning what they had actually done. They, they, they tortured people just for fun. I mean, they were an evil, evil culture. And God was bringing judgment on, kind of like in the days of Noah. They, he was going to wipe them all out. And he sent Jonah to be the prophet. But the reason they listened to, to Jonah is because he was three days in the belly of a what? Of a whale or a great fish. And, and they saw the miracle of God, a, a person who was dead, or at least apparently dead, and had been risen from the dead. And they say, we cannot ignore this message. And we would all agree to this. If, if somehow you put me in a tomb and then three days later I, I came out of that tomb, that Sunday you would listen to me, right? <laughs> you'd want to know about everything I had happened those, those three days. You'd, you'd really be listening to me if somehow I had done the miraculous. And this was one miracle, just one miracle the Ninevites saw. How many, how many miracles did, did the people of Israel see up to this point? I mean, Jesus was, he was wiping out every physical illness in the land. 
Everyone who came to me, he healed. There was no spiritual power that he wasn't able to deliver people from. He was doing miracle after miracle after miracle. It had come to the point where they had to decide, are you going to believe or not believe? I'm only going to give you one more sign. That sign is the death, burial, and resurrection of who? Of Jesus. Just like Jonah. And so if we're going to see clearly, and this is true about anything, we've got to come to that point. Do we admit that we've got enough reasons to believe what we see? And I'm using that see in, in the broadest sense. When you hear something, when you see something, you have to decide, am I, am I seeing what's, what's really true? And I was just thinking, and somehow... Uh, in the first service, I was kind of distracted. Maybe it was that baby that got born in our family. But anyway, is that, you know, as you think about it, we all kind of see things that, that might not be true. Have you ever been at a magician's performance? I mean, some of those guys are, are gals. They are, they are amazing. I mean, you're looking at it and go, how did, how did they just do what they did? I mean, they just, they just took the Empire State Building and eliminated it or, or this big 747. How did that happen? And I can't believe what I just saw. Well, you, you know, because he's a magician, and most of them will say, hey, I want to let you know this is sleight of hand, and this is not actually happening. But then they do it, and you go, can I really believe what I see? But so we all have to, we all have to come to that point. Do we really believe in something that we see? And what he was saying to them, look, at you, you won't get any further with me until you honestly admit you have enough reasons to believe what you're seeing. Does he, basically, he's telling them, look at you're, you're like the person who, who is a know-it-all. Anybody know any know-it-alls? If my wife was here, she'd probably say, well, you look like, you know, okay. you know <laughs> is that, you know, you know, what can you tell a know-it-all? Absolutely nothing. nothing. And, and why? Because they think they know it all. And no matter what, even if you could somehow put it right in front of them, they say, no, no, that can't be true, Right? That's, what, that, that's where they were. He said, I'm not going to give you anything more because you have plenty now to believe. And so, now let me just drive it home to us. Each one of us, as we follow God either for the very first time or after we've made that step, we have to decide, do I believe fully in what he has said and I will, I will follow what I understand clearly he wants me to do because I believe it. I, I've got enough evidence because sometimes what will happen when doubt comes in or when something we don't want to do, we find in Scripture, we, we somehow erase it or we, redef- we reinterpret it or whatever it might be. And what he's saying, look, you have enough to believe. And you don't understand how this all works with the law. We'll, we'll get that all figured out. But look at what you do know is right in front of you. Are you going to believe it or not? You, there are enough reasons to believe. But if your mind is made up, and I can't confuse you with the facts, there's no sense giving you more facts, right? So that's number one. Uh, secondly, sometimes if we don't see clearly, uh, because we don't want to see, that's because we're not convinced it's true. But the other times we don't see clearly, we're not looking hard enough. Would you agree? There, there are things I, I go right past, and the reason I go right past is I'm not really looking carefully enough at what's in front of me. And that's what he kind of uses the illustration here when he goes on in verse 30. He says this, For just as Jonah became a sign... To the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment 
and condemned them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And you say, well, why, why is he throwing the queen of Sheba in this whole, this whole discussion about them being wicked and not seeing what's in front of them and believing what they're hearing, the truth out of the, 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 the one who is the living word and from the living word is going to be recorded the written word and, and they're, they're not hearing it. And he says, it's because you're not anywhere near like the queen of Sheba. And, and, and what he was trying to tell them, look at you have been immersed with the Word of God in the Old Testament. You have the living Messiah in front of you. You don't have to go anywhere. It's, it's right there, and you're rejecting it. How about the Queen of Sheba? And then he makes an analogy. In 1 Kings chapter 10, um, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to that. But in 1 Kings chapter 10, he, this is the reference I, I really believe he's referring to, is that the Queen of Sheba heard about something pretty amazing happening in Israel. And just think if, if you were in Jesus' day, maybe you were in the surrounding um, towns or cities, and, and you're hearing about this Jesus, just this Jesus. You know, if, I, I want to go see this Jesus. And, and there are some stories of, of the non-Jewish people that, that, that came and ran to Jesus because they realized he was the one who could help them. And, and they went to great effort to, to find Jesus. And he said, you don't even have to find me. I'm right here. I, I've been playing hide-and-seek with you. I'm, I'm right here. Well, in, in 1 Kings chapter 10, the, the first part of it, uh, beginning of verse 1, it, it, tells, it tells the story where the Queen of Sheba hears about, hears about Solomon. And, and Solomon is like a type of Christ here. He's like, he, he is the personification of wisdom, right? We all know that he was the wisest man in the world. Well, if I were to tell you I'm the wisest man in the world, you'd want to what? You, you want to check that out, right? You want to say, okay, you, you know, people think, I, I, you know I, I know, Mike, you think you're the wisest man in the world. Maybe there's some people, you know, that like you think you're the wisest man in the world, but I, I'm not sure about it. So in verse, um, um, verse 2, it says, so, oh, verse 1, he says, Now when the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. If you want to know whether someone is wise, then ask them questions, right? And, and make them hard questions. So she says, uh, okay, I'm going to do that. So she came to Jerusalem, and it says, with a very large retinue or a crowd of people with camels and all kinds of things. So she brought this whole group. And in verse 3, it says, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. Verse 4, when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built and all the things he had acquired, in verse 5, she comes to point in verse 6 and says this, Then he, she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told of me. In other words, all these amazing reports of how wise you are, they didn't even, they couldn't even light a candle to how wise you are and how prosperous you have become. Now, the picture here, you need to realize the Queen of Sheba, she wasn't just next door. She was a thousand miles away. You know, and she didn't just hop on some plane. She, she had to go by camel and whatever it might have been for months probably at great expense 
to this little land called Israel to find out about this person that supposedly is pretty sharp. And, then, and she didn't believe it, but she went to great sacrifices to find out whether it was true and that she was really understanding or seeing clearly what was about this man named Solomon. And, and, and what, he's, what he's saying here, this is Jesus now saying, look at, you are a wicked generation. Number one, number one is that you've got plenty of reason to believe and you just won't believe. Number two is in, in pursuing truth and pursuing what is really clear right in front of you, you're not willing to put any effort in to figuring this out. Now, we just celebrated Christmas. Wasn't that true about, you know, when the three wise men came and, and they asked, where is the, the baby that might be born in the Messiah? And they said it was Bethlehem. Who went, who went to Bethlehem? Just the three wise men, right? I mean, they only had a, a short journey to go. These wise men had traveled great distance to find this one who they had seen probably in the prophecies of Daniel in the Old Testament that there was going to be born the Messiah in the land of Israel in Bethlehem. They couldn't be bothered just to check it out just a few miles down the road. And, and so sometimes what we don't see clearly in our spiritual life is because we're not putting any effort into it. It's like when I'm trying to, and I've this, when I'm trying to find something at home and I, you know, I, I, it, with my first look, I don't find it. I, you know, I want Alice to find it for me. And she says, well, just, it's right where I told you it was. And so I have to go back and look a little bit more carefully. And if I look more carefully, I'll find it. But if I don't look carefully, I won't see it. I will not see it. And sometimes that is true for us. We don't see what God has for us because we're not looking carefully enough. But you might be thinking, okay, I, I believe it. You know, I'm convinced. There's enough reason for me to believe. And we've talked at times, uh, you know, on Sundays, why we believe what we believe. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just I was raised that way. It's, it, there, there's, there's truth, there's evidential truth why Jesus is who we claim to be. Secondly, well, I'm willing, I'm willing to put the effort in. I'm willing to, to, to spend time pursuing God's Word. And that's why we emphasize the Word of God so much at Grace Hills. I mean, the life groups and the homework and the memory verses and the PT with God. You know, there's all kinds of ways to get in God's Word. We just, wanna, we just don't want to tell you to get in God's Word and then give you no ways to get into God's Word. So, and we want you in groups where you discuss God's Word. That, that's because that's where, that's where the fruit's found, right? And you say, well, okay, uh, if not there, it's other places. Well, but let's say you do that. I, you know, I, I personally study God's Word, and I, and I do believe it. There's a third thing that will keep you or I from seeing clearly. And, and that's the third point. And the third point is this, is that you, you see clearly when you're willing to do what God wants you to do that you see. Isn't that true? He, he goes on in, in this passage in Luke chapter 11, I don't have the right references uh, in, in Luke for you. I mean, I, I mean the specific verses. But in verse uh, 33, not verse 32, he, sa he says this. Um, the men of Nineveh, he said in verse uh, 31 that, that Saul, the queen of Sheba would condemn the people of that generation. And in verse 32 it says, the men of Nineveh will come up with the generation of the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now the point is, is using the analogy of the, the Ninevites in Jonah's day, when, when Jonah preached, 
They didn't say, mm, I believe that. I think Joseph's going to come. And they, and, they, and they might have even been willing to listen to him more than once. But why we know they really saw it clearly is they responded and they repented, you know, sackcloth and ashes, and they, they cried out for forgiveness. They didn't just simply hear the message, they responded to it. And that's always what God wants for us. James 1.22 says this, But prove yourself doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If all we do is hear the word of God and don't passionately desire to put it into practice, then we're, we're, we're our own foolish people. He goes on in that passage talking about it's like looking in a mirror and seeing it and then going away and ignoring what you saw. It's like going to a doctor's uh, visit and they and they tell you what medication you ought to use and you don't take it or you you know everybody usually starts gym memberships up in january and by february they don't ever go back i mean what, that's not going to do you any good right john thirteen seventeen. if you know these things you are blessed if you do them and sometimes it's the simplest of things in, in john 13 and this is one of our emphasis for this new year is helping people find their place of service is that we're convinced that we ought to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus came not to be served, but to what? To serve. And he and, and we'll make the analogy a little bit bigger. He said, blessed, it's more blessed to, to give than to receive. And that's not only financially, but it's with our time and energies and gifts and talents. We get the joy of service. And so we want to help you, not get in a position or responsibility that you don't love or you, know, you hate, but to say, look, I'm being part of God's eternal plan by, by using my gifts and talents and abilities and time to, to be used for something that's going to count for eternity and, and support and encourage other people as they do ministry. And that's why we're doing those surveys, and we're, that's our goal for this next year, to help everyone find some place where they're, they're just serving in, in, in ways that, that God would help them, whether it's on our campus or someplace else where you're, you're just doing things for God. And the byproduct of that, with Jesus' words in, in, in John 13, if you, in the, the context, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You can say, if you see these things or see them clearly, blessed are you if, you if you do them. They had seen what Jesus had done. He had washed the disciples' feet, right? Oh, that's a, that was a nice thing that Jesus did. I believe Jesus really did that. I, I'm glad I read that, took the time to read that. That's not the point of the passage. The point is, okay, then how, do you, how does God want you to serve? And so he told that to the disciples, and that's something that we need to realize, that, that we see clearly is when we respond to the God's Word. Make sense? So as we think about seeing clearly, number one, we have to believe what we see, or we wouldn't even go the next step. Number, number two, we, not, we need to realize that it takes effort to see something clearly. Sometimes there's something you, you have to dig a little bit to, to find out what's there. Thirdly, once you, once you find what's there, then you, then you need to respond to it. You need to do it. And then fourthly, he tells a story. Jesus loved to tell stories. So let's look at John, I mean, Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. And, and let us make the point as we get into the text. You also see clearly when you really want to see and remove whatever keeps you from seeing. You see clearly when you really want to see and remove whatever keeps you from seeing. Look at, as Jesus tells the story, he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar 
nor under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. <coughs> and basically, he's kind of probably saying, as I see this basket, he's saying, like, I know some of you, you're not too happy with me right now. You don't like me calling you a wicked generation for not seeing clearly and hearing what I'm saying and responding to it. You don't like that. In fact, you wish I took this light, which is what he would describe as teaching, and you'd say, well, can you just put that away right now? It's kind of it's kind of bothering my eyes. You ever been in that experience where you're in a room and all of a sudden someone turns the lights on and maybe it was dark and then they, they, they illuminate the room and it's too bright? You ever been in a too bright a room? You go, oh man, would you turn that down? It's, it's, it's blinding my eyes too bright. Now, what he's saying here is, look, at th- this light is a little bit too bright for you right now, but really this is what a light is for. It's to, it's to illumine the room. Now, of course, you, we can use lights and poor ways. When I, <coughs> excuse me. When I want to get my wife up and she's, you know, she, she, uh, she's a night person, I'm a morning person, I just get up in the morning and turn on all the lights, you know. <laughs> she wakes up. No. You know, you can use lights in a bad way, but he's saying, look, at a light is for a purpose of, of letting people see more clearly, right? And, and then he goes on and says, I want you to know how, what part you play in this. He goes, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear or healthy, or simple, which means it's, it's not divided in what it's trying to look at. Your whole body also is full of light, but when it's bad, your body also is full of darkness. <coughs> Excuse me. And what he's saying here, basically, uh, the eye does not produce light, right? But it does receive light. And sometimes we don't see clearly for one of two reasons. One is the receiver of the light is not doing very well, or the source of the light is not doing very well, correct? If a person is a, well, let me read the next verse, and we'll, we'll bring it all together. Uh, verse 36, or verse 35. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. And so he, he's describing things that will, will cause you not to see clearly. One, if, if you have something within your body that causes darkness it will affect how you can see. If you have cataracts, some of you have had cataract surgery, and what you need is to get that thing out of your eyes so you can see more clearly, right? If, you, if you've uh, ever had you know, a splinter in your eye, it affects your ability to see, right? You've got to remove that so that that which kind of produces darkness in your ability to, to uh, that, see that which is clearly in front of you has to be removed. And then, of course, the other part of it is if you are in the need of receiving light, then you need to go toward the source of light. And basically, Jesus had two types of people who would respond to him that had needs that only he could, could meet. One of my favorite uh, miracles, I just like how simple and straightforward to it is in John chapter 9, where, where Jesus takes the man who was born blind and he gives him what? He gives him sight. You know, how? How much light does, is helpful for a person born blind? Not at all, right? There, there's a miracle that needs to happen. That person who cannot see has to be given sight. And that's what Jesus can do. If you cannot see, he can give you the ability to see. But on the other hand, you could have the ability to see, but if you're in complete darkness, how well would your perfect eyes do for you? you you've been in places, haven't you, like some of those caves or whatever like that, and you can't literally see the hand in front of your face? There's nothing wrong with your eyes. The, the problem, there is no light. 
So Jesus came to do two things. He came to, to take all of us who could not see spiritually and give us the ability to see. And then secondly, he came to bring us in the midst of a world filled with darkness. He brought light to it. God is light in whom there is no darkness at all. But where it comes down to our action is this. Look, okay, there's light and there's the ability to see. But your part is, do you want to see? And are you willing to take out parts of your life that, that are keeping you from seeing? And James, as he talks about interacting with the light found in God's word, he says, right before he does that, right before he says, be doers of the word, not merely hearers or delude themselves, he says this, therefore putting aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word, the word implanted which is able to save your souls. And in reality, that's, that's true whether it's before we become a Christian or after we become a Christian. If we're going to see clearly what God has for us, we've got to be willing for our sin to be repented from, that we would turn from it. God, I don't want that which is filled with darkness. I want light. I think it's in John 3, 19, where it said that, that there are, the reason some people don't come to light is because men love darkness. And we all are that way. We all, we all hold on to that which is dear to us when, when God is saying, that, that is not my plan for your life. So what's the point this morning? God wants all of us to see clearly. Now, we all know physically that our eyes are deteriorating, right? And I don't see as well as I used to see when I was a little young kid. I got glasses fairly early in my life, and I've had eye surgery that gives me some ability to see without lenses. But, but you know, our, our eyes will deteriorate physically. But the good news is our, the spiritual eyes that God has given us, they can get stronger and stronger and stronger because the more we respond to the light God gives us, He gives us more light. But if we reject the light God gives us, he'll give us less light. And that's what you see throughout the New Testament. Either you're going toward the light or you're running from the light. And so I'd say, how how are you looking this morning? Are we convinced that Jesus is the true light? And that's settled. There's enough reason to believe that. Are we willing to make sacrifices? We might not have to go a thousand miles like the Queen of Sheba to get our questions answered because it's right here. But are we willing to dig into what God has for us? And then when we, we find what God has for us, are we willing to do what we know God wants us to do? And then progressively, are we willing to, to take away those things that clutter up our life that cause us not to see clearly? Our lives get so cluttered so often about things that, that won't allow us to go down the path He wants us to live. For some of you this morning, it might mean I need to receive Christ right now as, as the one who can forgive me of all my sins and bring His light into my life. And we'll close with a prayer that will allow you to do that. And for some of us, we, we just need to say in a fresh way, I, 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 want, I want to look at things like God wants me to look at them. I want to see clearly because I'm convinced it's true. I'll take whatever sacrifice it means to, to follow that light. I, I'll, I'm committed to do what He wants me to do. I'm willing to, to this week be obedient, maybe to talk with someone about Jesus. And I want to remove anything in my life that's causing me not to follow him faithfully and fully. But let's look to him in prayer. Well, I pray for anyone this morning that doesn't know you. And I pray that they would, they would say yes to Jesus. They would say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I want to turn from anything that's dark in my life. And I want to receive your forgiveness. 
and I want to follow you fully and faithfully. And when we pray that prayer and really mean it in our heart, you will, he will do what you promise you will do. And we can, we can be transferred from the domain, uh, what the Bible talks about, the, the territory of darkness and brought into the territory of light. And Father, if we, if we do know you, Father, might in a fresh way we say, God, I, I don't want to, to see dimly. I want to see with full sight. I, I, I want you to take anything out of my life that's causing me not to, to see you and your plan. Help me to know your word and apply it. Help me to be wise and discerning, not simply what is good in my life, but what is best. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.